Welcome to the Checkmates Go podcast. Join your favorite Checkpoint expert, Phone Boy, and his guests as they cover a range of cybersecurity topics to help you secure your everything. Be sure to subscribe and share, and don't forget to rate and review us. And now, here's Phone Boy. And welcome to Season 3, Episode 17. I'm Adam Gray. I'm the CTO and co-founder of uh, NovaCoast, and I oversee um, our organization from a technology perspective. My background is um, 25 plus years in um, IT infrastructure. About 23 of that is in cybersecurity. I spend most of my time with highly regulated organizations, and um, I have, uh, along with my team, uh, spent the last several years building and operating uh, the uh, NovaSoc platform, which is a SOC as a service. I'll have a couple more conversations with Adam in the next few weeks. In this episode, we talk about the beginnings of NovaCoast and NovaSoc, and of course, well, cybersecurity as a whole, because it seemed like that it started, well, kind of around the same time, or at least that's when we started thinking of it as a separate discipline from, well, just IT. And we also talk about, well, browser extensions, and there's a lot of things you got to worry about with browser extensions. Yeah, I'd say from a, a background perspective, um, you know, we we fell into security as a group almost by mistake. Um, you know, if I kind of go back, the uh, founded the company in in uh, with as a co-founder in 1996. Um, is that right? 96, 97. I, I, I it's almost been too long. Um, and and as an organization. Um, it, you know, we were doing sort of traditional networking, uh, yeah, early on. So November of 96. So we're almost 25 years in business coming up in a couple months. That's as long as I've been doing checkpoints. And we were doing traditional. I know, right? (laughs) Well, and it's funny because sometime in sort of late 97, so about a year after we founded the business, I was working in an insurance company, helping them with, uh, you know, uh, dealing with mail servers and dealing with Unix boxes and things of that nature. And one of the guys that was working there came up and said, Hey, you know, um, are we secure? And, and I didn't really know how to answer that question. And so we started to dig into, well, what, what does that look like? And what does that mean? And, and that, that kind of, you know, pushed me into a career in, um, largely working for highly regulated organizations from about the you know 97 late 97 early 98 time frame um, you know all the way up to now is is we got sucked in to go solve and deal with very ugly very hard problems and and that's been you know transformed over the years when we first got into it it was a lot of just sort of OS and system security, and then it became firewalls and IDSs, and you sort of stack all that stuff on top of it. But but yeah, we started, you know, 24 plus years ago, almost 25 years ago, um, almost by mistake, simply because a customer asked us something while we were working in their environment on something completely separate. And that launched an entire career for me. Yeah, I, I could I could say the same thing for myself, uh, you know, as, as somebody who's, uh, yeah, I mean, I started working for a checkpoint reseller back in 1996. And that was a, um, and, you know, and I was a sysadmin and, and I now being asked to support this product called Checkpoint Firewall One. And, and so you start getting into all of these, um, you know, other security questions, right? It is, you know, is, you know, yeah. uh, and it's not just, 
a perimeter gateway. It's the security of your servers. And, you know, back when you had to install checkpoint and, um, I was, yeah, you, it's you, in order to install that on a, on a, on a server, you have to secure, you know, you have to harden and secure that server, which, you know, now we don't, you know, now, you know, you just buy an appliance to do it, but, um, and you don't have to do all that, but, but it's still all that basic, you know, I think all that basic stuff that we, that we had to do 25 years ago, you still got to do it. Yeah, some of those things, some of those things didn't really change. So, so for my background, I ended up um, in in that early customer conversation, and that led us to um, get references to other insurance companies, and then into you know uh, regional banks, and then mid-sized banks, and then global banks, and and if I fast forward kind of to to the last probably 10, 12, 15 years of, of that, um, we've largely worked in very highly regulated either global finance, um, worked in, in large-scale healthcare or uh, critical infrastructure, things like oil, gas, power generation, that kind of stuff. So as we got exposed to to one area of the world, we got ex- we ended up, you know, meeting the adjacent uh, ends of the world, and that background in financial services um, has has helped a lot because they, you know, early on were required to protect themselves and build good security programs and operate with maturity and controls and change management and all the things that that kind of go into building a large mature organization. And, and that led us ultimately to, um, to look at the market as a whole and, and essentially come to the conclusion that most customers didn't have the expertise or the people or the capability to operate security on their own. And, and we started early doing managed services in that running people's security infrastructure security programs etc and and less so from like a an infrastructure standpoint less about like firewalls and that stuff and more around like large scale logging systems and big dlp systems and integrating you know vulnerability management to talk to some other tool that was never meant to to house that data um, that that became really our our uh, our expertise was deep integration of security technologies and tooling for large and global enterprises you know certainly big bigger organizations that have those mature processes and stuff. Um, it's a lot easier to then add on maybe some additional best practices as we learn more about cybersecurity and, and have to do more things and we've got more things to secure. Right. I, I, I assume that's easier in a larger organization because you already have some base to, to, uh, to, to build from. Whereas maybe in a smaller organization um, who hadn't done any of that because you know computers weren't um, you know were, were maybe an afterthought initially and now all of a sudden they're very critical to to even the smallest of businesses and so yeah um, and, and so now uh, you know there, there's it's not a, it's not a technical debt really I mean because because we sometimes talk about that and you know with with large organizations there's technical debt of yep. uh, that that's incurred but for for newer organizations it's it's a greenfield but you're starting from ground zero and in order to, you know, in order, in order to do cybersecurity and, you know, and, and, and do all of the, do all of the things that 
that one needs to do. Yeah, you got to start over, right? You got to start from you got to start from ground zero. And if you don't know what you don't know, then it's very easy to set something up to be, um, you know, that that, that makes you uh, subject to a compromise down the road. Yeah, and and it's I mean the problem is worse than that. If I take even my if I take my largest global organizations that I would say, you know, the top couple that I've seen over the years that have incredible security programs. It's about the people at the end of the day. They have enough people to get a lot of work done, right? If you are, you know, if you're a global bank um, and you have an exceptional security system and exceptional security people, you're you're spending roughly, um, you know, 2.2, 2 2.3% to 3% of your total employee staff across the banks um, around the globe are, are some way, shape or form related to IT security, right? So if you've got an organization with thousands and thousands and thousands of employees, um, your security team might be 15, 16, 1700 people, or might be four or 500 people if you're a slightly smaller organization. And, and at that scale, you can just get stuff done. So when we started to show up and look at organizations that had 1,000 and 2,000 employees and they had a security person or two, we were shocked that, that they could get anything done just because of the amount of work there was to catch up and do and the lack of people and resources meant that um, that that they were already behind and and that they they really didn't have a, a capability to catch up and to make matters worse they had you know they'd show up at RSA and there'd be 2000 vendors and 25 or 30% of them would be new every year there was no possible way for a group like that to effectively evaluate the technologies they should be purchasing and the technologies that they had any chance of operationalizing it's an overwhelming amount of detail and i know that even even myself sometimes that's that's it's like where do you even begin right it, it, that's and i think that's a that's a challenge right i mean even if you have some even if you have some grasp of okay this is the problem i'm trying to solve and here are some areas i know about where do you start and that's and i think that's a, sometimes just making that decision pick something right and and, and start is is challenging yeah and and i, I i'd say the one of the things that we we learned years ago is that you have to have the right kind of data to make good decisions about um, about your security. And and most organizations, when you when you really pull back and look at what the right kind of data is, is very hard for people to get a hold of and to grasp and to be able to make those decisions. And and these days there's there's so many technologies out there that, while maybe useful, aren't providing the the type of data um, to the places necessary quickly enough to make good decisions. And, and that's ultimately what led us to build and run Novasoc was we saw a disparity in the market where very, very large global enterprises with very mature 
people and tools could gather the data necessary to make good security decisions and decide you know what should stay and what should go and and how to bring things into a new environment and organizations that had say less than you know 15 or 20,000 employees couldn't do that and when it got down to organizations of sub 500 they really couldn't do it and and so we built our tooling specifically to support the MSP community and to build out a model that would allow MSPs to not have to build as much expertise in security and to rely on um, us to help them gather the right kind of data so that, that we could tell them, this is what's wrong in your environments and this is what needs to go be cleaned up and, and worked on. Not to prevent the problems, but simply identify them uh, before they were catastrophic. Yeah, now, of course, we want to ultimately get to a point where we're preventing those problems from happening. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I'd love to get to that point, but we've been trying that game for, you know, a couple of decades. I, at this point, I would I would settle for bringing the, the average down from 200 plus days that it takes for someone to know they've been compromised to hours or minutes, right? That would be a drastic improvement of where we're at. Oh, for sure. Um, and and I, I've always said that it's not an either or discussion, right? Because you talk about prevention versus detection, right? It's and and and, and you know and, and that implies you have to response. Have both. Yeah, you absolutely yeah, you, you have, have to, have, to both. have both. Yeah. Yep. And and unfortunately, um, when you spend ninety eight percent of your budget on prevention and two percent on detection, you're you're sort of missing too many things. Yeah. And are you are you spending it on the right kind of prevention? That's the other discussion, right? It's it's yeah. The, the quick answer is no. Yeah. No, they're not. No, yeah. there's there's too much out there that is um, not sufficiently useful for for an organization to be um, to be great at what they do. But like like we said, you have to do both, right? There's not it, yep. it, so it's it's knowing you know it's preventing what you can. I mean, that's why you buy firewalls in the first place, right? Is a you know that's why we bought that security control initially. That, uh, but as we've gotten more sophisticated and the tooling's gotten better and the you know the 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 prevention technology's gotten better, then you can deploy it in more places. But the the bad guys aren't sleeping, right? The bad guys are continuing to develop tools and develop develop ways to get in, um, and uh, and, and and you know and, and, and exploit things. And I think that's uh, so. Yeah, you have to do some detection, and, and so so you've created this offering for for no for you know Novasoc that you're gearing it at MSPs and they're gearing it at maybe smaller customers. Um, there's got to be some cool stories there in terms of you know, the kinds of problems that you guys are able to find. And, and you know, and so can you share a couple of stories of, of interesting yeah. things? I, I'd say that there's, there's, it's funny because every day you find something new that's, um, that's interesting, right? That's, you know, even, even today, um, you know, I, I sat with some of our threat hunting team this morning and, and did some reviews on what we were seeing. And, and I'd say some of the areas that have been very, very unique for us that have been, um, uh, that I would say is is built on the on on good sound um, research that we don't see out in the field much is um, is browser detection problems and so if I look at browser extensions as the next frontier of stealing your data stealing your information uh, causing general chaos etc what we've been running into as of late is that organizations 
um, that are getting compromised and organizations that have sort of serious loss, we're seeing a ton of it happen through browser extensions. And that's not to say that like Chrome is bad or Firefox is bad, but they built this ecosystem that allowed anybody that wanted to the ability to create a plugin to do essentially everything they want on a browser. And now that your applications and your businesses have gone almost entirely browser-based, what we're finding is that um, the new malware and the new ad tech is getting directly injected into, uh, into browser sessions um, via plugins. And, and so today, um, you know, when, when I sat with our, our threat hunters this morning, they were showing me a um, sets of browser plugins that were um, masquerading as legitimate applications, um, but using flaws or you know flaws in either old jQuery or flaws in um, in in the rule set for what plugins are allowed to do to transfer data in and out on every request. So. Browsers, um, browser plugins that can capture pages and capture entire images on pages and capture all of the cookies and all of the email addresses and all of the identity information inside the browser and then stream that out in real time to outside services. Yeah, and it's it's a lot like I'd say you know I don't know fake apps in the mobile app stores or on unofficial app stores or that kind of thing. It's the same kind of idea. It's something that looks legitimate, but when you dig under the covers, you go, "Oh, this is not good." This isn't good. Yeah, if it if it has the word PDF viewer in it or video converter, let's just call it what it is. It's malware. Like there's 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 no way around it. Yeah, it's very likely that it is. It's yeah. it's yeah. <laughs> Because there's plenty yeah. of great tools to do that. I mean, it, it's and, and yeah. but um, it, it you know I, I would say that that um, these are just they're just I, I don't know more uh, elaborate forms of social engineering because they're tricking you to install code on your system and then and it gives them access to do what the you know what it, what it gives them access to do. Yeah, the hard part though is corporately this is what happens. So somebody puts that in their their home, you know, system. They log into Gmail, they log into, you know, outlook.com, whatever they're using Edge, they're using Chrome, they're using Firefox. Um, and then they go to the office and they check their Gmail from the office browser and the default behavior is to sync all those ex all those extensions directly into the browser. And so even if you have policies that are like, hey, you can't install stuff from the store, more often than not, sync still operates. And so anything that was sitting on that poor, undetectable home PC that doesn't have good protection or good capabilities now simply just got in synced and put into the back end of a corporate office on machines that that do have some better protection. And, and as of today, there are no real EDR tools that detect malicious browser plugins. They might go look at say, hey, there's a JavaScript file that's bad in this one plugin, but they don't look at the whole class of plugins to say, this thing's available on the Google store. Is it okay or not? Should it be able to be run? Does it make sense for a business class computer?
yeah, the the tools the tooling just isn't there, and and that's and yeah, we need that kind of that's, that's per, perhaps a, an opportunity for um you know, for a vendor to uh, I don't know come up with some way to to yeah to scan that stuff and go hey should is this appropriate based on the, the criteria that we've defined and and yeah there, there's there is a lot of um, there's a lot of useful browser extensions. It's not to say that all browser extensions are bad, but you do have to be picky about which ones you install because yeah, I mean, you and I were sitting down a couple of weeks ago, we we're talking about Bitwarden, which is a, which yep. is a password manager. And if you look at the permissions that, 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 that requires, yeah, it needs those permissions. They're not, you know, they're, they're not uh, the kinds of permissions that, uh, that you think about it. They go, yeah, it can, it can, it can paste passwords on a page. It can, it, you know, it has to be able to read the page to be able to see what's, um, you know, to see where to put the passwords and, and, and yep. that kind of thing. And so, um, yep. and it, and there's other data that it goes, that goes back and forth. Yeah. That's a legitimate use of a, of a browser plugin, but there, you know, there are some browser plugins that you kind of go, okay, it says it it's, it's meant to do X, but it also wants to, uh, you know, read and write every web page. Is that necessary? Well, probably not. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, and, and Bitwarden's a good one where, where you have to make a conscious decision. Do I trust the vendor that's behind this? Yeah. Right. That is a conscious decision that everybody has to make. And so, Having some transparency with your vendor, where do they operate out of? Are they do they have good privacy policies? Um, you know, are they trustworthy to hold my data? Uh, are all questions you you would have to ask? And and I can't make those conversations for you, but you know there are others out there like you know similar positions, uh, you know similar um, types of functions like Grammarly is another one where Grammarly for Chrome, same kind of permissions. They can send data to anywhere on the internet with with you know your your data, your systems. They can read all the tabs and read all of your cookies and you know do you trust them? Is that an appropriate thing for for your connectivity and your systems and for the type of business you're in? And, and not only that, so the then the question is, are you getting the legitimate version of the Grammarly or the Bitwarden plugin? Because there's a lot of fakes out there. And uh, yes, there are. Yep. And, and so you might know, okay, Bitwarden is fine because it does all these things, but how do you know you're getting the right one? And that's, you know, that's a whole nother discussion. And, and yeah, it's, and, you know, you see that even in the, you know, in the, in, in the mobile app stores, it's the same thing, right? It's, it's a, you know, if you're, if, how, you're making sure you're making sure you get the right, uh, the right version of the application and, you know, you, and yeah, and it's, and all it takes is a few people to install that particular application and, it, it, everybody gets uh, impacted by that or some, you know, somebody gets fished and then it causes somebody else to get fished because it, because it, because those things propagate. Well, and, and you also have things like um, plugins. There's a, there's plugins for, for virus total. So in our world, everybody kind of knows who virus total is. Well, I, I got news for you. Virus total doesn't have an official plugin. There is no virus total plugin made by virus total there are uh, a couple of secondary ones there's one called vt uh for browsers um and then there's a fake one out there called virus total which is just straight malware um but but neither of those are actually made by virus total or you know now that that uh um, google and chronicle uh, and and that group owns those there is no, they don't have an official plugin. So there's a third party ones that exist, but those aren't tied to the company and they have the same kind of capabilities to make requests, block requests, uh, and send data to anywhere on the internet. 
in caveat emptor in terms of who actually you know, is what is this the legitimate one and and you know and this is this you know I, I guess for the average person trying to figure out is this legitimate or not what's the is there telltale signs that you can look at and kind of go this doesn't this doesn't look right or you, you I mean you do have to pay attention and don't just blindingly install a uh, a plugin right yeah I mean the real problem is is that unless you have kind of some deep knowledge on how plugins work, you can't really tell the difference just looking at the plugins um you know, and so that's one of the things in the background that that we spend a lot of time on is capturing that data set and then flagging all of those as um you know as good or bad for for organizations. Yeah. And then, you know, and then when you find those in the environment, you can say, hey, this, these are bad news. You should remove these. And that's part of your part of the offering, right, is to, is to make sure yep. that when people actually, yeah, the, you, you see these things, we know about them. And, and yeah, there, and there's plenty of data sources for, um, you know, bad extensions, not just, you know, not just your customers, but yes, things like VirusTotal and and so on. And, and, and you know, yep. may, you might detect it in other ways too, right? It's, it's so there's, it's, 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 but it's leveraging all that and saying, hey, this is bad news. You've got two of your customer or two of your employees have installed this on your, on their systems, you should probably remove it before it, be, you know, and then you might need to do some additional remediation to make sure that they didn't, um, that, that there wasn't any data that was leaked that was, uh, uh, important. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, you know, it, the, that's sort of every single day we're dealing with, um, with, with that level of, of, of ugliness in, and that's just like one small corner case. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Checkmates Go. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app, leave us a rating and review, and share with your colleagues on social media. And we'll see you next time.